Hello, my name is Oliver Kinner. And I'm Ian McAllister, and this is Brainwaves episode 121, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 15th of May, 2023. Mythical games may not exist unless you pay. Grimlord has some grim news. And the Golden Geek Awards are announced. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Before we get to our first headline, folks, we'd just like to issue a small correction. In episode 119, we said that the Monster Apocalypse Kickstarter had funded in 2019, but that was incorrect. It actually funded in 2021 with a due date of November 2022. This puts the game seven months overdue at the time of recording on the 11th of May 2023. And on that very same episode, 119, we detailed the woes continuing to befall publisher Mythic Games. Mythic are the publishers behind the Darkest Dungeon and Monster Apocalypse board game Kickstarters, amongst other titles. Although on episode 119 we talked about how the Monster Apocalypse Kickstarter was delayed since funding in 2021, this time we are focusing on the Siege 6 Kickstarter, a project that Mythic crowdfunded in June 2021 to the tune of $1,541,463. The target was $100,000. In an update to the project on April 30th, Mythic posted that they were asking for further contributions to the project in order to be able to move into production. The amount varied per pledge, but the top-end contribution asked for was $129. That wasn't the end of it, though. It wasn't entirely obvious in the update, but Mythic were also asking for shipping again. We've seen receipts from some customers where the shipping added up to $78 onto the pledge, taking this extra contribution to over $200. The reaction amongst backers has been predictably hostile. The game has been review-bombed on BoardGameGeek, and many are point-blank refusing to give Mythic more money, believing they are throwing good money after bad. BoardGameWire posted on 9th of May that Mythic had now reached the amount they were required to proceed with production. However, only those who contribute will get their game. We had reached out to Mythic about the Monster Apocalypse Kickstarter and had received nothing back. Board Game Wire were nice enough to provide us with some email addresses that proved a bit more fruitful, and thanks to the team over at Board Game Wire for that. We heard back from Leonidas Vesprini, one of the joint owners of Mythic. They declined our request for an interview, instead pointing us towards an FAQ that they had put out to their backers, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Alongside the FAQ, they said this in their email to us. The clarification we can make is that since we posted this FAQ, we've reached and even exceeded the funding threshold that will allow us to deliver the game to those who have paid the extra contribution. As people have until 24th of May to pay, and knowing that the game is for sure going to be produced and delivered, it's possible that this will bring in even more contributions by the deadline. For the rest, I hope you'll understand that we are focused on delivering Six Siege. We don't want any more interviews. I'm receiving tons every day. Our best response to the situation will be to show that we deliver the games when exceptional contributions are requested. We did it with Darkest Dungeon, and we will do it again with Six Siege. When Mythic ran into problems with the Darkest Dungeon Kickstarter, they managed to get Red Hook, the company behind the computer game Darkest Dungeon, to help them out with some of the extra money they needed. We asked if similar efforts had been made to get Ubisoft to help out with this project. Leonidas said, Regarding Ubisoft, we explained the exact and precise situation to them, which they understood. We did not ask them to participate in this effort, just as we did not ask Red Hook for Darkest Dungeon. 
Red Hook volunteered, and at this point, we do not yet know what position Ubisoft will take. This is a very particular and delicate situation for us, and Ubisoft, like Red Hook, is not responsible for it. So, yeah, more bad news for Mythic, but more bad news for the backers of Mythic's games. And Mythic continuing to say that they are fine, that they are, they are not in threat of bankruptcy or anything like that. Those answers are put into their FAQ that we're, we're going to link to. But to me, they look like a company very much in trouble. They've asked for contributions again for Darkest Dungeon, obviously, earlier in the in the cycle of Kickstars and now asking for money here. And there are problems with the Monster Apocalypse Kickstarter not yet having gone to production. They've got a lot of projects sort of behind, and whether they have the money to continue with this, whether that the money that they're asking for from backers now will be enough to see the thing produced and shipped, I, I honestly don't know. If I if I was a backer, I, I don't know how I'd feel. It depends how deep I was in, I guess. I, th- I think that's the bigger problem here. It's They're obviously trying to put a brave face on whatever's happening behind the scenes. And of course, as a company, you're not going to say we're having problems. You're going to try and put a positive spin on it. But as someone who's either already backed or is potentially looking at buying games or backing future projects, you're obviously going to be concerned that you put some money towards the campaign and then later you ask for more money. And yeah, so they, it, it's that sort of confidence in the company that's clearly taking a hit, irrespective of what's actually going on financially with the company. I mean, I, I doubt that that they're not having problems, otherwise they wouldn't ask for more money. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's just not looking good. Yeah, they have previously said that they've downsized because of some of the economic problems and some of the economic downturns in the board game hobby. And yeah, if, if they're a smaller team now, they're just going to be able to handle less. And yeah, that's that doesn't make them very flexible. Yeah, problems all around. So yeah, we'll we'll keep you up to date, folks, as we hear more. But I don't think we'll be hearing much more out of them for a little while as they try and get some things back on track. We hope they do. We hope backers see their games. But yeah, it's not a very good outlook for that situation. No. But unfortunately, we're not done with Kickstarter companies uh, having troubles, Oliver. No, unfortunately not. We have more news from Grimlord Games uh, who made the name with big crowdfunded projects like Village Attacks and Everrain. In a recent update to the Village Attacks Grim Dynasty campaign on GameFound, the company posted this. Dear backers, it is with heavy hearts that we come to you today with the deeply sad news that we've come to the end of the line. After eight years of making games, Grimlord Games is entering into insolvency and immediately ceasing all activities. Before we explain, we wanted to start with an apology. We're sorry that we couldn't find a way to make this work, and despite our very best efforts, we couldn't find a way to see our final project to its end. Despite trying to build Grimlord Games into a long-term, viable business, immense external factors have led us to this unfortunate and sad ending. They go on to explain that they have been exploring multiple avenues to rescue the company, including selling Grimlord to an interested company. Two different companies did show an interest in Grimlord, but ultimately no deal was forthcoming. They also said that a VAT issue caused by Brexit tied up some of the money for a time. Grimlord Games is now in insolvency and being managed by FRP Advisory. In the update, they post, FRP Advisory is the insolvency firm that will take control of the company. Their mandate is to sell business assets and distribute the proceeds of these sales to the creditors, i.e. anyone who is out of pocket due to the situation. Each of you will be contacted by FRP regarding this and instructed on how to proceed. If you are affected by Grimlord Games going into insolvency, 
You can send any correspondence to grimlord at frpadvisory.com. The Grimlord Games site no longer exists. So, of course, we hope that everyone at Grimlord Games can find new jobs and hopefully eventually lands on their feet. As we know, it's not been an easy time for anyone really in our hobby, neither for companies dealing with you know all the issues we had with with in the recent year of the pandemic and all the costs going up, and then obviously in this case Brexit causing issues with VAT. Yeah, and obviously all the backers who have put faith faith in the company. So yeah, it's it's not easy, and and yet we we not in a way not surprised that more companies are going under. It's just so tough out there and has been for a long time. So in, in a way, it's, it's nice to see that, that they have lasted this long. Um, but yeah, we hope that everyone can find new jobs. Yeah, and uh, yeah, an unfortunate situation for the backers of those games. But as we've said many, many times in this cast, don't forget that GameFound, Backer Kit, Kickstarter, wherever you're backing games, these things are not stores much as they might look like them. You are effectively taking a bit of a bet with your money when you're backing these these games and sometimes they're not going to get to you sometimes like things like this are going to happen and i think we're going to be seeing much more of this as the sort of fallout from the last couple of years of increased pricing increased shipping increased um draw material costs as well have gone through the roof yeah, yeah. we're going to see more companies tumble i think it's inevitable but now onto some more positive news there's some award winners to announce ian Yes, indeed. Uh, now, in its 17th year, the Golden Geek Awards, which is the annual Board Game Geek Awards, have been announced. Every year, Board Game Geek asks its community to nominate the top 10 games that were released the previous year for a number of categories. These are then put up for a vote to whittle them down to the top three. Now, there's a quite a list here. We're not going to go quite through all the winners and runners up for each one, but we'll just touch on the winners for each category. In two-player game, the winner was Splendor Jewel from Space Cowboys. Artwork presentation, the winner was Flamecraft from Cardboard Alchemy, a game I quite like myself. Cooperative game was Return to Dark Tower from Restoration Games. Best expansion was Dune Imperium, Rise of Ix from Direwolf. Innovative was Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition from Hobby Japan. Light game of the year was also Cat in the Box. Medium game of the year was Heat Pedal to the Metal from Days of Wonder. Heavy Game of the Year was Carnegie from Quind Games. Party Game was Ready, Set, Bet from AEG. Print and Play was Aquamarine from Postmark Games. Solo Game was Turing Machine from The Scorpion Mask. Thematic Game was also Heat, Pedal to the Metal from Days of Wonder. War Game was Undaunted Stalingrad from Osprey Games. Best Podcast was This Game is Broken. And the best board game app was Everdell from Direwolf. Big congratulations to all the winners there. I think you wanted to point out a couple of the runners up as well, Oliver. Yeah, first of all, congratulations to The Game is Broken, even though we are really um, miffed that we didn't win the best podcast, of course. Yeah, disgraceful. Shocked at this this obvious... um, Uh, we weren't even nominated. I mean, just, just, I know. you know, come on. Nomination would have been nice. But anyway, that's next year. So don't forget to vote. But yeah, I mean, uh, one of the runners up that I do want to mention is Votes for Women from Ford Circle Games, which isn't great to see that they did become runners, runners up. Um, but I would have liked them to see actually winning the award. Um, that's one of those worthwhile games. I think we need to see more of these, these types of games. And also, I. I, I'm really pleased that Aquamarine from Postmark Games won the Prince yeah. Play Award. They they really worked very hard, and both Rory Muldoon and Matthew Dunstan uh, 
doing great work with personal games and and there's more coming up so keep them out so yeah Akmarine, congratulations to to them and everyone else yeah i'm working my way through the maps for their first game voyages um to do a review at some point i'll be working through Akmarine at some point as well and they just announced their new game as well that'll be coming out in the not too distant future as well kickstarter later in the year I can't remember what it was called. Oh, yeah, Waypoints. So, yeah, they're, they're yeah. busy people doing some really interesting stuff with trying to make games very low budget, but interesting titles that don't have a massive environmental impact because they're all print and play. So, yeah, really interesting yeah. company doing interesting things. And I second um, Oliver's comments there on Votes for Women. Um, Fort Circle Games were nice enough to reach out to me after I reviewed Suffrage recently and sent me a copy of Votes for Women. So that will be getting to my review table hopefully in the next month or two. Yeah, good stuff. Now, on to the updates. In the last cast, we reported on the seemingly successful lawsuit against Cam Banks by Zach Smith, a.k.a. Zach S. or Zabeth. Zach also had an ongoing court case against GenCon. This case came about as Zach S. was suing GenCon for lost earnings. He had claimed... $2.85 million in lost earnings by being banned from Gen- GenCon. This case has now been dismissed by the King County Court with prejudice, which, as we understand, means Zach would have to take the case to a higher court to continue with proceedings. In the judgment, the court lays out in detail why they are dismissing the case. They point out that Zach has failed to identify 111 of the 115 people as having information relative to the case. He has also not provided details of how he reached the $2.85 million he is claiming in damages. Most crucially, they point out that Zach has been unable to provide evidence on how Jenkins' actions have caused him damage. The plaintiff is Zach S. The defendant is Jencon LLC. Plaintiff has been asked to identify those who allegedly banned him or cancelled contracts with him because of defendant's statements. The issue of causation is absolutely essential in this case. This court previously dismissed plaintiff's complaint for failure to set forth any explanation of how defendant's statements caused his injury. This ruling was overturned on appeal because the Court of Appeals, Division 1, ruled that in a complaint, a plaintiff need only set forth allegations of causation of facts from which an inference, and in quotes, fairly may be drawn that evidence on these material points will be introduced at trial. And hence that it was sufficient for plaintiff to allege that defendants exercised a strong influence in the gaming world and that their statements caused his enumerated damages. But now the plaintiff is required to respond to critical discovery of what evidence there is on the material point of causation. And now he says that he, and in quotes again, does not and cannot know whether defendants had anything to do with most of the harm that he claims and refuses to say what he does know did cause some of the harm he alleges. This is wholly inadequate. The court goes on to warn Zach that failure to comply with its discovery orders and pay compensatory sanctions could lead to much more serious sanctions. They then go on to explain that GenCon can't defend themselves if they don't know what the allegations are, and to reference another case where similar lack of cooperation on part of one of the parties occurred, and that case was also dismissed with prejudice. Moving on to the news. UK Games Expo, the largest annual hobby convention in the UK, has announced the winners for its 2023 Judges' Choice Awards. The awards were set up to 
Recognize and celebrate quality and excellence in new games and products in the tabletop games marketplace. It's not clear how the winners were chosen, but as far as we can tell, all the games are new in some way. That is, they were not available for purchase before the expo, have not been released yet, or are a crowdfunding campaign that runs during the expo, or are a prototype of a game that was previously not available to buy or play. This does mean that it will have been impossible or at least very hard for the judges to play these games to form an opinion. There's quite a long list of winners here. Um, a couple of titles that stand out to me are Best Board Game American Styles, Oath Sworn Into the Deepwood from Shadowborn Games, which I think is just on the cusp of going out to backers at the moment from a previous Kickstarter campaign. My best children's game is Dodo from Cosmos, which I think is actually available. Solar Sphere from Drowned Games is the one I've been keeping an eye on. Minstone is quite an interesting range of little miniature games and quite interesting miniatures. They they have won Best Miniatures Range and Best Miniatures Rules. Best role-playing game is Critical Foundation from Gigamic, which is a sort of introductory RPG thing, which I do have a little intro thing to have a look at from Hatchet Games, who distribute Gigamic in the UK. And yeah, that's all the things that really stand out for me. I mean, we'd like to congratulate the winners, but... We've covered this award in previous years, and the best I can say about the UK Games Expo Awards is disappointing every year. Not from the point of view of the winners or the people nominated, that whatever. It's more the fact that this is like the biggest convention in the UK, and there's an opportunity here to have a really interesting set of awards that really celebrate the best the UK gaming scene has to offer. And what we get each year is this sort of self-nominated thing where publishers send in the games they want the uh, the UK Games Expo to look at. And it, it just doesn't feel very rigorous or very interesting. It doesn't feel like it's like the, the Spiel des Jahres of you, the UK gaming scene or anything like that, which is kind of what I want from a big convention like the UK Games Expo. I just wish they'd do a little bit more. Either don't do these awards because they feel kind of like incidental and kind of pointless. Yeah. Or do it properly. This weird sort of halfway house, I just feel is really, I just personally feel really disappointed by it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. As you say, with as being one of the biggest, if not the biggest UK uh, Games Expo um, you know, event and, and being international, that I think that that could do more. I mean, funnily enough, Spieler Seattle's are attending this year, so maybe they'll have some chats about this and, and can improve things. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, but yeah, I mean, like you, I'm thinking. Okay, it's great, great that obviously games are being sort of marketed a bit and and you know given an award. You know, seeing yeah. like children's games being listed as well in the UK Games Expo is, is very family friendly. So that's all good yeah. to see. But as I say, it's it just feels a bit yeah. Suddenly these games appear and and yeah, it just needs to be done more more. I don't know. I don't want to say professionally, but you know, in in a more meaningful way i think yeah meaning, meaningful right. is the word yeah but yeah something like uh, a set of awards that really really means something to the uk gaming scene yeah yeah absolutely anyway oliver companies are acquiring old properties rebellion unplugged the uk-based publisher of sniper elite the judge dread board game and the adventure presents series of rpgs has announced they have acquired the rpg lines of flying buffalo among these titles is include the famous Tunnels and Trolls. Originally published in 1975, it was seen as a more player-friendly alternative to Dungeons & Dragons. Duncan Malloy, head of Rebellion Unplugged, said of the acquisition, Tunnels and Trolls is an unrecognized trailblazer in the games industry. 
The team at Flying Buffalo responded to an entirely new medium by focusing on how role-playing could be more approachable, more accessible, and more fun. So much of the modern era of role-playing from old-school hacks to streamlined systems to solo play can directly trace its roots directly back to this series. We're very excited to channel that spirit in bringing tunnels and trolls into the modern era. Flying Buffalo's games remain online to purchase as PDFs, but all future releases will come from Rebellion Unplugged. Now, you probably know more about this. I'm not an RPG person particularly, so what are your thoughts, Ian? I mean, I know a little. I mean, Tunnels and Trolls was like the sort of second sort of big RPG to come out after Dungeons & Dragons. It was obviously in a similar vein, sort of similar going down dungeons, but had a different sort of take on it. I've never played Tunnels and Trolls myself, so I can't speak to it very much. I know it's it was very well regarded at the time. But uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see a piece of RPG history being preserved like this. I mean, it's a little easier to... We've talked several times in the cast about how, how hard it is to sort of preserve board game history because of the physical nature of, of board games, the, the way yeah. they're produced it makes it very hard to keep them in print all the time. But with RPGs, it's a little easier. So you can, I don't know if you can still get original PDFs of Tunnels and Trolls, but probably because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's just digital books. So they can be, just be stored forever and ever and ever. But yeah, it's, it's good to see like that title coming back. I, I do have a slight concern with like the RPG industry constantly looking backwards and not right. like, trying yeah. to innovate forwards more. But yeah, for the fans of Tunnels and Trolls, it's a good thing. And hopefully uh, Rebellion will do the same kind of thing that um, Restoration Games have been doing with board games and sort of bring Tunnels and Trolls into the modern era and put sort of a modern twist on that game. Modern twist, yeah. yeah. That'd be good to see. Yeah. Speaking of modern twists, there is an interesting movie maybe in the pipeline? Well, as you might be aware, Oliver, film and TV writers in the United States are currently on strike in a move by the Writers Guild of America. One of the other outcomes of these strikes has been the news from Letter Games that a Root movie is in development. A pitch had been prepared by Kung Fu Panda series writers Ben Meckler and Chris Amick. They had been working on getting interest in the movie and gathering talent to work on it. Patrick Leder, the head honcho of Letter Games who produced the Root board game, told Board Game Wire, While the strike is going on, they will not be able to pitch, so we are back to holding. We can be patient about this. I've always seen the odds of it working out being remote. And if it happens, I will be pleasantly surprised. Patrick also said that they've been approached about a Root movie on a few different occasions, but this is the attempt that has progressed the furthest. We'd like to say that the Brainwaves team expressed their solidarity with the Writers Guild of America. The conditions for writers in the industry are not good at the best of times, and they all deserve better. And secondly, I can totally see a, a Root animated movie working, I, I, or a series. It's Especially if they manage to get Cal Farron on board with for some of the art style in there. I, it'd be oh, yeah. to see yeah. that, that art style in a sort of animated way. I mean, Cal Farron is not an animator, but he is a fantastic artist, so I'm sure he could become on board for that. He's the guy who does all, the, all, all that anthropomorphic art for Root and the art for Oath as well. And I think he's, works on, he's working on ARCs, the forthcoming game as well. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely a and core member of the team, I would say. And, yeah, absolutely. Sort of, he is the one who sort of gives them all the same sort of feel about it. And if, yeah. you, if you play the digital version of Root, there's animation in there. You have a little intro yes, with music right, and the characters yeah. being animated. So I'm just having that in my head now. If, if there was going to be an animated series, that it looks something along those lines. And yeah, it'd be, be interesting to see what they do with it. There's certainly lots of factions and characters with different abilities and the, the way they interplay with each other. And I don't know whether it's going to be a fighting film or, you know, uh, sorry, a uh, serious 
yeah, I don't know. It's just going to be nice, nice to see something being done in, in that way. I mean, Root's got a lot of allegories for like capitalism and and sort of like old structures oh, yeah, yeah. and the eerie and things like that. So there's lots of it, there's lots of interesting sort of like satire kind of comedy you could put in that. So yeah, yeah, true. Uh, an interesting yeah, proposition yeah. for sure. But as with all these things, this is basically at the sort of like thinking about it optioning stage. Nothing may ever come of it, but it, I, I can see it. I can I can see it as a possibility. Sounds interesting for sure. And sticking with animated properties for a second, we're back to Pokemon cars for a moment. Yes, on the last cast, we reported on the new Pokemon hype sweeping Japan as a new expansion launched. This had caused cars to be sold out in loads of places and the Pokemon company having to release a statement promising to print more. This has led to the self-proclaimed biggest dedicated Pokemon TCG shop in the world to restrict who can buy Pokemon cards. Hararuya 2 announced on the 30th of April that only those attending high school or younger would be able to buy the cards, with age checks being carried out to check the buyers are young enough. In addition, you can only buy 10 packs a day. So yes, definitely no room for adults for the, in the Pokemon world. And I don't know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Who knows? I'm, I'm sure instead of you know sending an adult in... Uh, you know, to, to buy alcohol, now you have to send a child in to buy Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, the age IDs have gone the other way. <laughs> Interesting very, development. Very strange. Anyway, Oliver, we've got a few events going on across the UK. Yes, we do. We have, obviously, as I mentioned, UK Games Expo uh, uh, coming up on the Friday the 2nd of June to Sunday the 4th at the NEC in Birmingham. I'm going to be there. I'm actually demoing uh, games on behalf of Asmodee UK on stand 1892. So say hello if you want to and maybe rest your feet if there's a room. Um, I'll also be around in the evenings at the open gaming tables as well. So hope to see you there. Then we have a couple of small events. There's one near where I live down the road in Hastings. On the 19th of May 2023, obviously, from 7pm to 11pm at the Hastings Board Game Museum and Cafe in East Sussex, there's somewhat of a first for nothing on events. Yes, that's an organisation run by Adam, a 42-year-old naturist and member of British naturism. The evening is going to be all about socialising, playing a game of three and generally hanging out in the nude. So if you want to join them, the ticket price is £20 and includes a choice of food and one drink. Or you can add an additional £5 corkage fee to bring your own alcoholic drinks. Interesting. I don't know where that'll be going, but nice to see that. That's obviously the hobby is, you know, in, in various other um, communities as well. Touching different yeah. segments of the British community. Amazing. Nice. Nice to see and then finally, a quick shout out to the South London playtesting at the Ludiquist Board Game Cafe in Croydon. It's happening every Tuesday from 6.30pm to 10pm. And there's a welcoming community of board game designers and playtesters. Uh, so if you want to join them, feel free. You don't have to be a designer yourself or, or publisher if you want to attend, as long as you're happy to playtest a game that's still in development and, and provide your feedback. Um, obviously, if you are a designer yourself, you know, head over there. Just obviously be aware that uh, maybe you need to also playtest other people's games, not just about your own. Obviously, it's a you know community. And if you're a publisher and interested to see what's coming up, head over there as well. So, 
Yeah, The Ludicrist in Croydon on every Tuesday, 6.30pm to 10pm. And as always, we have links in the show notes to all of these events if you want to find out more. And one of the folks who used to attend that playtesting meetup, and probably still does, is James Naylor of Naylor Games, one of our executive producers. Alongside Sean Newman, we'd like to thank them both for their support and the support of all our patrons. There's various ways to support us on the cast, including giving us money through Ko-Fi or Patreon. And you can also buy dice from Metallic Dice Games, t-shirts from Sir Meeple. We'll have links to all that in the show notes, and they're always on our website if you want to go and check those out. But finally, Oliver, we've got a little bit more Pokemon, but this time antiques? Yes, uh, Pokemon obviously has been around such a long time that they're now considered antiques. So, a little bit of cultural history. The Antiques Roadshow is a firm favourite of UK television, which our UK listeners will know. In the show, experts in various antiques like paintings, pottery and jewellery meet members of the public to assess the treasures. The show has made a transition to the States, and on a recent episode of the show, an attendee brought along their Pokemon card collection. The expert on hand, Travis Landry, took the owner through the cards and did a great job of treating it with respect and knowledge. The clip is on YouTube and Travis assessed the whole collection to be worth somewhere in the region of five dollars to $10,000. Now, as I said, I don't know whether Pokemon is technically antique, I don't know what the official definition is, but it's nice that these are now brought along and obviously considered a treasure that yeah. hopefully is going to be hung onto and passed onto the next generation. Um, but obviously, be careful investing in these sort of things. You don't know whether you're going to make that sort of money. Just, you know, treat them as, as trading cards that you enjoy. And, and if they're worth money, great. Yeah. I mean, in this case, the lady had had it bought for her by her mother when she was much younger to, to sort of stop her being um, taken advantage of by other Pokemon collectors, I think. And uh, Travis did point out that the collection would have been worth much more, say, even a year or two ago at the height of the sort of Pokemon craze during COVID. So as Oliver says, do be very careful investing in this stuff because... Yeah, your money can go up or down with investments. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Brainwave. So thanks very much for listening. And as always, if you like what you listen to, then then there are various ways to help us out and share the podcast, drop us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. That's obviously highly important to us. Even though we don't really care about rating as such, it does bring up the podcast in the search results. So please do that. You can also follow me at tabletopgamesblog.com. The Brainwaves podcast has a Discord. There will be links in the description. We're on Twitter as The Giant Brain. On Instagram, Giant Brain UK. Facebook, The Giant Brain. And the website, most importantly, is giantbrain.co.uk. If you want to get in touch with us, either to send us a review directly or if you have any information or news, we have an action news section on Discord, but you can also email us at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. So yeah, thanks very much for listening. Um, I guess we'll see you in, the, in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks very much, folks. Bye for now. Bye.